The second part of our message, the commandments of God, we looked at the third, not, uh, not to take the Lord's name in vain, and how that extends to any time his name is discredited, devalued, or misrepresented. The fourth, which was honoring the Sabbath, we saw how that's not only important in reverencing God's day of rest on the Sunday, but it also points to the inevitable return of the Lord and his millennial reign on the earth. Then lastly, we looked at the fifth commandment, which was to honor thy father and thy mother. And we looked at how this parental respect not only affects the home, but we also saw how it has affected our society as a whole. This week, as we pick up on the sixth commandment, we will receive continued instructions on how we're to interact with our fellow man. As we move into this, new com in this next commandment, we will be led into an area where the impact and, cons and, cons and consequences of our actions are far-reaching and incredibly destructive. In the commandments of God, part three. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity you've given us to be in your house. Uh, Lord, you know that I have prayed over this message. God, I have I've sought you. I have begged for you to speak. And God, I know that you have. And Lord, uh, even this morning as I was making revisions on the message, God, you were refining things in my heart. And Lord, I pray that today my humanity not be a part of this message in any way, shape, or form. If there's any possibility, I could simply vanish. That no one would see me. No one would even know I was associated with this message, but it would come directly from you. That is my desire. I do not want to have any part of it. Let your spirit lead. Let your spirit guide. God, you have spoken to me. I now ask that you would speak through me in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus 20, verse 13. It says, Thou shalt not kill. This is the sixth commandment, okay? So let's first look at what he's actually talking about, okay? This is not talking about killing plants or animals, because guess what? They're essential for life. They're essential for food. Genesis 1.26 says this, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Okay? In the system of life that God created, guess what? It was designed for things, something, in order for one thing to live, something else has to die. This is true even of plants. Because guess what? Plants are absorbing from the soil, which are decomposing things that were living before. That is a system that God created. This intricate cycle of life was created by God. So what form of killing is God talking about in this scripture? God is, in fact, talking about taking human life. Okay. Are there times when killing a human being does not break this commandment? There are. There are legal justifications for killing, which would be execution after being sentenced to death by a court of law. There are morally justified reasons such as killing in self-defense, killing in the defense of another, or killing in defense of one's country. If we would accept the meaning to be not to killing any for any reason, then God would be breaking his own commandment many times in the scriptures. If we look in when he orders the Midianites, right, to slay the Midianites in Numbers 31, 17, it says this, And they warred against the Midianites as the Lord commanded Moses, and they slew all the males. When he wiped out humanity with a worldwide flood in Genesis 6 through 8. When he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah along with all of the inhabitants in Genesis 18, 19. When he killed the Egyptian firstborn in the Passover, Exodus 11, 12, 11 and 12. When he ordered King Saul to annihilate the Amalekite people. Guess what? In 1 Samuel 15. So we can see that the ending of human life is not always wrong. What's important in regards to this command is not the ending of the life, but it's the motivation and the drive behind it. Okay, now let's examine the command in referencing back to the Hebrew language. The Hebrew language possesses seven words for killing. Okay, of these seven words, one specifically denotes murder, as it carries with it concepts of premeditation, hatred, 
and intentionality. This word is, and I'm going to do my best not to butcher this all the pieces because I have no idea how to say it. I'm just going to guess it. It is lot tertsach. That sounds pretty good. It's spelled like this. <laughs> L-O-T-I-R-T-Z-A-C-H. So if anybody knows how to say that better than I did, throw it out there. But otherwise, we're just going to go with lots, lot tertsach. Let's just go with that. This, basically what it's saying is, thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not murder, okay? So murder is to kill someone unlawfully and with premeditation. The Bible describes it, it, is, it, is, uh, it describes it as shedding of innocent blood. If we consider the very first account of a murder in the Bible, and we go back into the book of Genesis, who do we find? Cain and Abel, right? 1 John 3.12 says this, not as Cain, who was of that, notice this phrase here, was of that wicked one. Do we know who that is? Who, who is that wicked one? Satan, right? Okay, so it's who was of that wicked one and slew his brother and wherefore slew, that him, uh, slew he him because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous, okay? So we know who the wicked one. In John 8, 44, we get a description. Ye are of your father the devil and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it, right? So in the beginning, when we see Satan introduced into the scene in Genesis 3, guess what he does? The very first thing he does to reveal who he is, he goes against God's word. He starts with a lie. He says, surely hath God said. He immediately starts to discredit God's word, right? Now, it's not a coincidence that in our world today, the very same tactic is used today. In discrediting God's word through false religions, through false and twisted doctrine, through mis misrepresentations and crazy translations of the Bible. It's about discrediting God's word. That's the attack. Motivated by his hatred toward humanity, it will be his lies and his evil influence that will lure mankind into sin. And it will be the rebellion, that rebellion in humanity, which is driven by that evil. Guess what? That's going to steal away man's eternal, eternity. Because at that point in time, Adam and Eve, guess what? They're eternal beings. But after that, they get a limited lifespan. Their death enters into the world. Genesis 3.19, after the fall of man, this is what God says to Adam. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. That was not the original plan. He says, until thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and into dust shalt thou return. You were created from this, from this earth, and you are going to return to this earth. Thus explaining the phrase that we saw in John 8.44, where it said, he was a murderer from the beginning. Okay? At the same time, evil intent also entered into the world. The devil is motivated by pure evil. He is driven by hatred for God's highest creation. Guess who that is? Us. He hates us. Desperately completely, mercilessly hates humanity. If you've ever faced a demonic attack, if you've ever gone through something in your life where you were just beaten down, and you were like, my goodness, can I just not get a break? Can I just not get a break? How come when I feel so low, I keep getting beaten down lower and lower and lower? Because he has no mercy in him. He is pure hatred. He is pure evil. And he has demonic forces that work on this earth, and they will try to destroy us. But we have a God. But we have a God. The devil is motivated, as I said, by pure evil and driven by that hatred. In fact, the three reasons why he exists are listed in John 10.10. 10. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill 
and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. God says, look, there is a way out. Guess what? And his name is Jesus Christ. The world's definition of murder is the premeditated killing of another person. Now, as we've seen, there is a deeper spiritual component to this. It's not just talking about that. We're actually, if you look here in Matthew 5, 21 and 22, this is Jesus speaking in the Beatitudes, as we call it. Matthew 21, 22, he says this, Ye have heard that it was said by, by them of old, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, Raka means you're worthless. He shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou, thou fool, be, shall be in danger of hell fire. The Lord is explaining that it's not, it's the issue is the intention behind it that he's going to hold them accountable for. It's the heart of the individual. So murder, unjust anger, considering someone to be worthless, ridiculing them, they're all sins in God's eyes. They're all equal in God's eyes. He sees them as wrong because what, guess what they do? They separate us from him. They separate us from him. There is none righteous, no, not one, the Bible says. None of us. We all have something in our life, little white lies, whatever it is. But in order to get to heaven, we'd have to be perfectly righteous, meaning without sin. And there's only one person ever walked on this planet that was ever without sin, Amen. Jesus Christ. That's why his blood could pay the price for the sins of the world, because you and I, we don't have a chance. God is talking about morality and its dire importance for humanity. God wants us to be holy. That's what he created us for. And we seek after happy. And guess what? If you seek after happy, you never find it. You have good days and bad days. Good days and bad days. Happy means happens. What happens to you? Happenstance. So what happens to you if it's bad? Guess what? You're no longer happy. You're sad. And you go up and down and up and down and up and down. And God says, why don't you shoot for holy? And you know what's great about holy? He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. He says, guess what? If you'll live a life for me and you'll honor me in everything that you do, guess what I'll do? I will bless your days. I will walk with you. The Apostle John goes even further and is explaining to us in 1 John 3, verses 13 through 18. He says, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. Remember the world, this is where Satan is the ruler. We know that Satan is in the, in the, in the world. The world is evil. And it says here, it says, Marvel not that the world hate you. Verse 14, we know that we have passed from death unto life, meaning we've been born again, because we love the brethren. The indication of the fact that you are a born-again child of God is that you have love in your heart for your brother. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. He says, look, this person is lost. If we're obedient children of God, his character traits, the parts of God, guess what they do? They're reflected in our lives. People can see them because we have passed from death unto life. Now, what do those traits look like? Galatians 5, 22 through 25, give us the fruits of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such. And it says, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh and the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. This is where it comes in. Walking in the Spirit is a choice. Walking in the flesh is a choice. You and I, if we're a born-again child of God, we can do right and we can do wrong. It comes down to our will against God's, right? This hate that we see, look at this verse number verse 15 as John continues. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. He's talking about a hate that is spawned from the devil himself. He's talking about that type of hatred that's born within, within, within evil. 1 John 2.16 tells us exactly where it comes from. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh... And the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world, right? So John is making the same point that Jesus is, 
that this fleshly desires, this sinful life, guess what it does? It separates us from God. Now, does this mean that a murderer cannot come to repentance after a murder? No. There is no sin that God will not forgive. We are broken people that make stupid, idiotic mistakes. We get caught up in our emotions or moments or whatever it is or circumstances, and we react in the moment. How many of us have ever had a regret in our life? Holy moly, man. If we made a list of our regrets, gracious me, it would be like a phone book. Literally, I'm thinking about when you're six, seven, eight, nine, ten, every year you were alive. You wrote them all down. We're filled with regret because guess what? We just make idiotic decisions. We're driven by our lusts and by our attitudes and by our mindset. Even after we're saved because guess what? I still live in a body of flesh. This flesh still wants to do wrong. It's not until I get a glorified body when God takes me out of here that I'm going to get out of that mess. But you know what? Until then, I've got to fight with this thing. And this thing always wants to do wrong. And you're in traffic and somebody cuts you off. You don't want to be, you know what? You're not like, God bless you. Have a wonderful day. No. What does your flesh do? Oh, dude, if I had a dump truck, <laughs> if I had a tank, <laughs> I would just drive right. Anyway, right? That's, we're just people. We're, we're flesh. We live in this flesh, right? And he's saying, look, you know what? These are the fruits of the Spirit. These are things that should shine out of you. comes down to choices. The traits of the flesh are fueled by evil. They're fueled by evil. It says here, this I say then, walk in the Spirit, this is, by, this is a choice, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh, okay? For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary, the one to the other, so that they cannot, so you cannot do the things that you would. If I'm in my flesh, I'm not able to serve God as I want to. If I'm in my flesh and I'm dealing with something and I come to church and I've got something in my heart that I know is wrong between my brother or my sister, I've got something I'm struggling with in regards to sin and I'm sitting in church and I go, why can't I hear from God? Guess what? There's a barrier between you. Not because God's not trying to speak to you, because you have given yourself an inability to hear him because of the things that you've allowed in your life. And the more garbage we put in our life, the more distance we put between us and God, and the harder it is to hear Him, the more distant we can feel. We can reach a point in our life, and we have so much sin in our life, we can feel like we're lost people. We can feel like we're disconnected from God altogether. If you analogize that to a child and a parent, and if a mom, if a mom tells their daughter and says, Honey, you know what I want you to do? I want you to, I want you to clean your room for me today. And she says, Oh, okay, you're yeah, right, Mom. And she goes, But I don't want to. And she says, Honey, go clean your room. I'm not asking. I'm telling you. This is what I need you to do. And she goes in a room, and instead of cleaning her room, she destroys her room. I mean, she writes on the walls. She punches holes in the sheetrock. She flips over her bed. She breaks her bed into small pieces and parts. She goes insane. She destroys everything in the room because, you know what? Don't you tell me what to do. I'll do whatever I want. This is my bed, and I'll destroy it if I want to. And these are my clothes, and I'll rip them up if I want to, and I'll show you. And she gets done. What did the mom do? She just asked her to be obedient. And because of her will, she took it way too far to prove her point. And then she looks, looks around at like what she's done, and she's like, oh, boy. And she jumps out the window, and she runs in the woods, and she's hiding behind a tree, and she's like, oh, my mom's going to kill me. She doesn't even love me. She'd never accept me. Is that true? No. But can the devil make you feel like you cannot be accepted back by God? Can he make you feel worthless? Can he take all the things that you've done wrong and show them to you again and again and again and again and put them in your face where you can't see anything else? Yes. Because guess what? He's a liar and the father of it. God's saying, you know what? All I did was ask you to be obedient. But if you'll make things right, guess what I'll do? I'll restore you just like that. 
I'm looking to restore you. My desire is not to punish you. My job, my, my desire is to restore you into a relationship with me. That's why I created you. And it's this battle of the flesh. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings. And it says, and in such like of the, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in the past, time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. These are the traits of evil. These traits of the flesh are fueled by evil. And of course, we know who is behind every one of those things. We know there's a devil that hates us and wants to destroy us, right? Lost people can do incredibly dreadful things to individuals, to other people. But guess what? Are they the only ones? They're not. Can Christians commit murder as well? They can. Because guess what? It comes down to choice. Unfortunately, in these Laodicean times of Christianity that we live in today, they can and do commit such sin on a regular basis. Out of fear, confusion, or even selfishness. The Bible warns against the shedding of innocent blood, and there's no more innocent blood than that of an unborn child. It sounds unthinkable for someone to kill an innocent child. No one can think that that's okay. But through the influence of the wicked one and humanity's propensity to evil, in our world today, we call it abortion. The tragic truth is abortion is the number one killer in the world. It is a leading cause of death over cancer or heart disease. In our city alone, 150 to 200 babies are killed every single week. 80% of those that are killed are killed at the Latrobe location in Charlotte. That abortion center profits off of the harvesting of human life, making four to five million dollars a year for, for killing children. Charlotte has three abortion centers and has the same, and at the same time has over a thousand churches in the greater Charlotte area. How can this be happening? It's unbelievable. Latrobe is the busiest abortion center in the southeast, and it's in our backyard. One out of every four men and or women, men and women, will have an abortion in their lifetime. Incredibly, 54% of women having abortions identify themselves as Christian. As sad as that fact is, even Christians can do immoral things. Christians can, can, can in fact, commit any sin. But if they do, the Lord, who is not mocked, guess what? He is not mocked. He will chasten them. That means he will put pressure upon them to make things right. He'll do it before their sin, during their sin, and after their sin. He will ride their shoulders until they'll make things right through biblical repentance and giving their heart back to him. You see, because the traits of God are a part of us, after salvation we cannot commit sin without what's called godly sorrow. Godly sorrow. 2 Corinthians 7, 9 says this, Now I rejoice, not that ye were made sorry but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing, that ye might be totally restored. Godly sorrow is the pain we live with because of sin that lasts 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, until we make it right. Because one thing about God is he doesn't give up. Some of us, God called us for salvation for year after year after year after year. I was 34 years old before I came to know the Lord. There may be some people that lasted even longer than that, right? Matt was 40, 48, 47. Sorry, I made you older. 47, right? But for 47 years, God's chasing him, right? 
trying to reach him, trying to reach him, but doesn't give up because he loves humanity. Where Satan hates us, God loves us. Maybe you're a Christian, right? Maybe you're a Christian. Abortion is a part of your life. Guess what? For Christine and I, it's a part of our life. Prior to salvation, 23 years ago. 23 years ago. Caught up in our selfishness, our fear, misunderstanding, whatever it was. Corruption from outside forces, not having a biblical truth spoken into our lives, being lost people with having no idea what to do but being afraid. We made a choice to take life. Ignorantly, stupidly. And you know what? We don't forget it. It doesn't go away. You never forget what you've done. But you know what? If that's you and you're there and you've made a bad choice, you just know that you don't, it's not a hopeless situation. Deuteronomy 21.9 says this, So shalt thou put away the guilt of innocent blood from among you when thou shalt do that which is right in the sight of the Lord. Like us, maybe you've sinned against God and done the unthinkable, but let me tell you that with Jesus there is hope in hopelessness. We might have been in a dark place, but God wants to bring us out of the darkness into the light so they can use our lives. That's the whole thing. It's not about just beating you up over what you've done, but it's going, look, I can take what you've done and I can actually use it for my glory. Look at what he says in 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18. It says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. This is talking about us as Christians. He's saying, look, be careful with this life that I've given you. Use it for my glory. Use it for my glory. Don't get caught up into things. He says, but he says, uh, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? Why would I, as a Christian, be hanging out with people that are not Christians, that are doing things that are ungodly? And what communion hath light with darkness? Why should I be letting but my light light among things that are going to darken me? And what concord, means what relationship hath Christ with Belial, which is saying Christ with the devil? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? It's like, look, man, this, you're the temple. And he says, look, and he says, for ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in you. Imagine that. If you're a child of God, the God of the universe, the God of love, the God of all, he lives in us. He says, I will dwell in you. Amen. Then check this out. Look what he says next. And walk in them. Not only will I be in you, but I'll walk with you through this life, the goods and the bads, and I'll try to guide you on your path. I'll walk with them and will be their God, and they shall be my people. He's saying, what are you doing mixing yourself in with the world because you're special? You're my child. I live within you. Don't take me to those places. Don't put me amongst those influences. Take me to where I can be used for the holiness, the goodness that I was created, that you were created for. He says, look at this, verse 17. Wherefore, come out from among them and be you separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will receive you. Don't you want to be received of God? He says, look, come out, from, come out from among them. Be separate. Don't blend in with the world. Check out verse number 18. And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. How beautiful is that? The sons and daughters of God. He says, all it takes. Come out from among them. Be separate. Live for me. Seek holiness, not happiness, not personal fulfillment, but honoring me. And watch what will happen as a byproduct. Guess what? God does not waste pain. We have pain from our choice. There's pain. And that pain never really goes away. But we have a hope. And we have the joy to know that one day, one day, we'll meet that child, boy or girl. And we'll embrace them for the first time. 
and we'll get to love them as we should have loved them on earth. But we can't change what happened. All we can do is affect the future, right? He wants to use our pain, our mistakes, our sins to help someone else. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that all things work together for good. Notice the next part, to them that love God. This is talking to Christians, to them who are the called according to his purpose. He says, if you're a Christian, I'll take everything, decision, good and bad, that you make your mistakes, your goods, your bads, and I will use them for my glory, and I'll use them for you. If we will give our hearts to God and repent of our sin, God will do the impossible. And guess what he'll do? He'll free us. Free us from the guilt and the pain. Because God says, you know what? Even in your mistakes, I can do something wonderful. You see, there's a battle raging in our world today, and God needs soldiers that will fight for his cause, fight for what's right, for what's godly, for what's holy. In 1 John 3, it continues. He says, hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. If our hearts are right with God, we ought to have a compassion for people. If we do not have compassion for our fellow man, either we are not one of God's children or our relationship with God is so messed up that we can't even feel the things that are within us. We need to check our hearts. He says in verse 18, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Meaning if you do something, do it for truth. Do it for real. Don't pretend that you're a godly person. Don't pretend that you're compassionate. Don't pretend that you're kind. Be kind. Be compassionate. Be that person. John is challenging us to live our faith. The devil hates humanity, and he has been trying, he has been warring against us from the very beginning. Ephesians 6.12 says this, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We are in a spiritual war, ladies and gentlemen. The battle is fierce, and the body count is only growing. God, God needs men and women and boys and girls to stand up and fight Millions are dying every single year. And it's happening in our own city. Are we willing to stand back and let it continue? Are we willing to stand up? Stand up and fight? While abortion is legal according to the world's laws, it is illegal in God's eyes because it is absolutely immoral. There is no gray area with abortion. It's just plain wrong. As children of God, he's calling us to action. This coming Saturday, we'll see if we'll respond. We'll see if we're willing to fight. We'll see what we're willing to do, if we're willing to step outside of ourselves and use the power of peaceful prayer to make a difference for the unborn. We'll meet here at the, 8 at the church at 8 o'clock. We're going to be heading out to Latrobe Avenue to go out there and pray. And it's not going to be chanting and marching or anything like that. It's not the things of the past where people stood with signs and yelled at people. It's not that. It's standing peacefully and lovingly and looking at that abortion center, praying for the owners, praying for the nurses, praying for the doctors. God, do a work in their life. God, save their soul. Help them realize their lost condition. To help them realize what it is that they're doing. They're blinded by the devil. He's a liar and they're believing the lie. Break it away. Clear their eyes and break off the scales. Show them the truth. God, help them to see who you are and what's actually being done in this place. When you go there, you will feel the evil. If you've never experienced evil before, you've never felt a wall of evil come against you, you will feel it that day. But what we're going to do is we're going to send a wall of love right back at it. And it's almost like in your mind, if you could see it, it almost feels like there's, have you ever seen a seawall with a wave crashing against it? Boom. Boom. That's what it feels like. And you still, you'll still, hundreds of people just praying, God, speak to that young woman that's in there right now who's scared. 
who's, who's, who feels despondent and confused and she doesn't know what to do. Let her know there's people out here that can help. Because it's not just about stopping the abortion, it's about helping them through every step of the process. They have the mobile unit that's outside that'll do, that'll do the ultrasound right there on the spot. We've got counselors that'll work with them right there on the spot. They decide they want to keep the child. Guess what? We team them up with a mentor that will walk them through the pregnancy and continue all the way into the child's life. They want to go into it. They want to adopt the child. Great. We put them into an adoption, right into the adoption system. We're there to help them in every single way we possibly can and give them actual choices because the whole lie of choice is one choice, life or death, life or death, life or death. We will give them a myriad of choices and help them through the entire process. God wants to do a work in that place, but it takes soldiers for Christ to stand up and do what's right. We've got to be willing to take the banner of Christ up and say, you know what? I will stand. I will stand. If no one else will, I will. This coming Saturday, we're going to be out there. Like I said, we're going to meet here at 8 o'clock in the morning. 9 o'clock, we're going to be out there at Latrobe. We're going to sing together. We're going to pray together. It's a wonderful time together. It is encouraging. It is, it is heartbreaking. But at the same time, you know what? When we're there praying, 70% reduction of abortions on Saturdays. 70% reduction on Wednesday, we're going to pray. I'm going to ask you to fast and pray this coming Wednesday. And all day Wednesday, we're going to pray throughout the day. I want you to stop and just pray for that place. Pray for those women that are struggling right now. Pray for those men that are trying to coerce or push the women. They say that close to 90% of women, if they had the man's support, would not go through with the abortion. It's a man issue just as much as it is a woman's. Big time. Big time. So what we're going to do is have an opportunity for you guys. If you are willing to go out on Saturday with us, you say, I have a heart to do it. Now, if you can't do it for work or something like that, and you have, that's fine. This is a matter of the heart. Just like living, living in the flesh or living in the spirit, we get to choose. And this Saturday, we get to choose. If you're going to go with us on Saturday, if you will stand up. We have a clipboard that just go ahead and stand up if you're going. Saturday, you say, I'm just going to show up. Stand up. Christine's going to pass out some clipboards with pins on it. And if you will sign your name on there, we're going to turn this into Love Life. There are going to be hundreds of, there's five, we're, this is our sponsored Sunday coming to Saturday coming up. There are going to be a lot of churches there. We're going to have a lot of different folks there. But we are a representation of the Lord while we are there. This is a battlefield. And I need you guys to sign up if you're going to go. So I can tell them who's going to be there. You're going to, if you've never been before, they're going to give you a free Love Life t-shirt, which is really, really awesome. It's super comfortable, too. That'll be yours to keep. And as you fill these things out and as you guys do this, I'm going to give you a little bit of an update on Love Life and let you know what's going on. Since Love Life started, and that's Love Life started in 2016, 200 partnering churches now. There are over uh, 40,651 people have done prayer walks up to this time since 2016. 1,245 families have chosen life. 70% drop of abortions. 21 abortion, abortion workers have walked away and been convicted of the industry and quit their jobs. 486 people have been connected beyond the prayer walks with mentors, orphanages, or with front lines. 67 have adopted or in the process of adopting or fostering some of those children. 77 are involved with a post-abortive Bible study. Okay, Year three, week 40, 14,000 prayer walkers, prayer walkers showed up in one day. 14,000 showed up to pray in one day. 383 moms have chosen life in, week, in third year. Six abortion workers have left the industry. 31, have been, 31 were saved, 51 were saved. In the fourth year, week one, 641 walkers. Eight moms have chosen life. 
No abortion workers at this point so far have left the, have left the industry, but we have two saved on Saturday. We now have 183 matches in the mentor program. 183 people that were going to that abortion clinic have been matched up with a mentor who is walking life with them. Guys, this is making a difference. And all it takes is somebody to say, you know what? I'm willing to stand. Amen. I'm willing to stand. The world will pass us by and the devil will always push the same agenda. You can look in our society today and there's no doubt about it. Watch TV for more than five minutes and every single thing that you possibly wanted to avoid your kids from seeing, that agenda will be shoved down your throat. Watch a mainstream movie, and buddy, buddy, I'm telling you, the things that you're going to see are not the things that you go, man, this is wholesome, this is holy. You'll be like, good night. How is this allowed to be even in a film? It's unbelievable what's allowed today because guess what? The world has an agenda, which is destruction. You have a marriage, guess what? The world has an agenda, destruction. You have children, guess what? The world has an agenda, destruction. Amen. There is one goal, which is destroy humanity. But God loves us, and it's his strength that will get us through. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. God is the strength. He is my strong tower. He is my fortress. We don't get through this life because we become super strong people. We go through this life because we learn how to be dependent upon a God who is great. Amen. The stronger you try to be, the more weak you're going to be. You're going to fall flat on your face if you try to do it in your own will. But if you give your heart to God and say, Lord, you know what? I cannot do this. I am broken and I am undone. But God, you can. God, you can. Take me as a vessel that's empty and just fill me with your spirit. Use me for your glory. That's why I'm here. And if we can get self out of the way, self is what we're all filled with. If we can just get self out of the way, the spirit will fill the void. And you will speak as God would speak. And you react the way God would react. And you'll think the way God thinks. And you'll say and do what God does. When we don't, all it's telling us is there's too much self in us. There's too much of me. The Bible says that we're to mortify our flesh, kill our flesh. And if we'll kill our flesh, guess what? The spirit lives through us. Love life is all about involvement. First of all, hearing. The Sunday launch, you get education, awareness, commitment. There's pray. Wednesdays we pray and on Saturdays we pray. It's about going. It's about connecting. It's about making a difference. Bottom line is the God of this universe wants to make a difference in our community, and he wants to use us to do it. And all he's simply saying is, are you willing? It comes down to one thing, choices. Choices. There's women that will be on the Trobe Avenue because of a choice. And we'll either be there to pray for the unborn, or we won't be, based upon a choice. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for today. Thank you for our message. Thank you, God, for doing a mighty work in us and through us. Thank you, Lord, for the understanding, God, of what uh, that uh, commandment actually says. When it says, thou shalt not kill, Lord, help us, God, to defend the innocent. Help us, Lord, to protect those that cannot protect themselves. Help us to be a voice for the voiceless. Help us, Lord, to have a heart for those that we do not know. Compassion for women that are dealing with something that's so frightening. They feel like they have nowhere to turn, and the devil is preying upon that weakness. Help us to come alongside them and love them. God, use our lives for your glory. That's why we're here. This life is not about us. It's about you. God, fill us, use us, direct us, guide us. God, help us to see your will accomplished in our lives so we can realize we've accomplished not, become something, not because we're something great, but because we serve a great God. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for loving us. With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed. If you're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor, I, I, 
I understand. I heard what you're saying. I appreciate it. But honestly, I'm not sure where I stand with God. 18 years ago, somebody asked me a very specific and pointed question. He said, if you were to die today, if this is your last day on earth, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven when you die? And let me tell you, I searched my heart. And I thought back to my childhood of never being church in my entire life. And I thought of the cartoons that I watched where the bad guy got horns and went to hell and the good guy got wings and went to heaven. And I thought, well, you know what? I guess I'm a pretty good guy. I said, I hope I will. And he said, is that good enough for you? Because you can hope or you can know. The Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the Lord shall be saved. You can know, David. Would you rather hope or would you rather know? And I said, man, I'm not crazy. I'd rather know. And that night, August 11, 2001, my wife and I slid off of an old Berber nasty-looking couch onto a floor on our knees, and I was wearing a wife-beater T-shirt and a pair of painting shorts. And I met the Lord Jesus Christ face-to-face. And I realized how much He loved me in my broken condition. He reached out to me and reached out to her, and we gave our lives to Christ. And we've been born again. If that's never happened to you, you can do it today. It doesn't take a preacher. It doesn't take any magical. It's just a prayer of faith. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's a gift. The gift is offered from the cross. When Jesus' arms are wide open to the world, he says, it is finished. The, the gift is offered to the world. Will you receive it? Again, we come back to a, a choice. You and I get to choose eternity with God or an eternal separation from him. The choice is ours. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray right in your seat. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to say anything to you. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. The Bible says, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That if in our heart of hearts we want to receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, we can receive him simply by faith, not through ritual, not through prayer, not through anything special, just faith. Amen. It's his grace that is extended to us. It's our faith is when we make the choice to receive him. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, if you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'm going to lead you in prayer. It is not the words that will do a thing for you. Because God's not listening to the words. It's your heart he's listening to. If in your heart of hearts you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and you'll pray this prayer with sincerity in your heart, he will save you right where you sit. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, repeat after me in your heart and mind. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've failed you. And I've failed myself. And I'm sorry. I ask you from the bottom of my heart to forgive me. God, would you pay the price for my sin? Would you lay your life down for me? God, forgive me. God, save me. God, give me a home in heaven. I trust you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for resurrecting and proving you are God. By faith, I become your child. And by faith, I will see you in heaven one day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.